title of the message is Journeying Through Life's Storms. Stand with me for the reading of the word. The word of our Lord here says, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and Other little boats were also with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Heavenly Father, we live in a time, Lord God, there are storms on the outside, Lord God. There are storms that rage at times within. Lord Jesus, you are the calmer of storms. You are the one who says, peace be still. So Lord God, as we journey, Lord God, through this world, hey, we're going home. Lord God, when the storms hit, let us look to you, and may your peace that surpasses all understanding guard our hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So we live in a time of storms. (laughs) I preached two weeks ago talking about the signs of the times from Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talked about there being all types of different storms. Just in the last two weeks, what has happened? What have you observed in our world? A firestorm, right? In Hawaii. Horrible, horrible thing. The firestorm in Hawaii. A hurricane that right now is hitting, right? Mexico and Southern California. Tornadoes. Two days ago hit Rhode Island and Massachusetts. When was the last time you heard about a tornado hitting Rhode Island? Wildfires in Canada, wildfires in the state of Washington, floods in the United States, tornadoes, hurricanes, droughts, storms raging. Now, sometimes there are storms, though, that rage on the inside, right in our personal lives. Physical storms, financial storms, career storms, relational storms, spiritual storms. Storms are a part of living life in this world in a world that at times can be extremely hostile. If you look really closely at this picture, Christine, where are you? Christine, she posed for that picture. (laughs) Tell me that doesn't look like Christine, right? Did you you paint that? Because I know you're an artist. (laughs) Put yourself in it. Every time I I looked at this picture, this is Christine. So we are, we are journeying right through a, a world that, again, occasionally visits our lives with storms. Now, let me say something to you here. When you study the Word of God, there is a historical context. This is an event that happened in time. It happened in a specific place, the Sea of Galilee, within a, a culture. You, uh, you know, there is a contextual language that's there. And we always need to be careful that we don't pull a passage out of the context because that will lead to us believing in something that is untrue. 
So there is a, a, a contextual story here that happened in time and in, in space. Then there is a personal context, and this is something that I find really amazing as I was studying and reading through the Word of God. You can find yourself in every story. You will find yourself on that boat and in the boat with Jesus. And every story that goes right, right from Genesis right to the book of the Revelation, you will find yourself in those stories if you open yourself up and you're actually true. Sometimes it's not the most flattering that you find yourself in, right, in those stories, but you'll find yourselves in those stories. And every chapter and every story in the Bible has a life lesson. I was, I was reading this morning, I was going through the Sermon on the Mount the last few days in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, and I was just looking at the life applications. Like every point that Jesus made, he then would conclude it with an application. He'd make the point, conclude it with an ap application. Treat others the way you want them to treat you. Right, there's the, the, there's the application. Enter through, right, the narrow door because wide is the door and wide is the gate that leads to hell. Right, there's the application. He ends up the entire Sermon on the Mount by saying, build your house on the rock. Put into practice what I've taught you. So it's, it's just application after application after application in the three chapters of the Sermon on the Mount. Well, Every passage that you will find in Scripture will always have a life application. This is what really makes studying the Bible fun. When I tell you I love studying the Bible, and I, I was in it this morning for two hours, right, after, after waking up praying and, and being in the Word. How do you get an enthusiasm and an excitement? Because there are such great life lessons. And again, there are these wonderful experiences of you actually entering in to the passage and seeing yourself, again, sometimes in a good light, sometimes not in such a good light, and then studying the historical, the historical context. It really becomes an incredibly fun journey, studying the Word of God. So what I'm going to share with you again this morning, we're going to talk about okay, this experience that the apostles have with the Prince of Peace in the midst of the storm. First thing, we are on a journey to the other side. In verse 35, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. If you are a Christian, a true believer, you're an other side person. We are, we are other side people. We are on a journey to the other side. And we are crossing a very turbulent sea. And that sea is called life. And occasionally, right, we are visited by storms. And the sea can get really rough. And it can get incredibly turbulent. But we're moving always towards the other side. The other side is our home. You know what? We're not home yet. Right? If you're sitting there and saying, are we home yet? You know when kids, when you're driving, like, are we home yet? You're, we're, we're, not, we're not home yet. We're not, we're not in heaven yet. In heaven... There won't be any storms. In heaven, there will be perfect, undisturbed peace. In heaven, there are no tears. In heaven, there is no pain. In heaven, there is no suffering. Right? In heaven, it is, it is bliss. Right? It is eternal joy. But we're not home yet. We're just, we're just passing through. We're passing through. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, in the, the great hall of faith, it says, 
about all these great heroes of the faith, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, without getting home, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were, notice it says strangers and exiles on the earth. You ever feel like a stranger here? Maybe, maybe it's in the workplace or it's in the neighborhood or you feel, you, I feel like a stranger at times. Kind of feel strange. I am a little strange, but you feel, you, you kind of feel strange. And notice it, it says, you know, strangers and exiles, you don't fit in. You just, you just, you don't fit in. It might even be in your family. If you're, you've got a family of unbelievers, you know that, that feeling, right? You just, you, you just don't fit in. You feel out of place. Philippians chapter 3, 20 through 21, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. Sometimes some of you will come and you will ask me what political party I belong to. Are, are you a Democrat? Are you a Republican? Actually, from, uh, at least from the political side, I, I'm an independent. And when I vote, I vote for the lesser of the two evils because you'll find that there are two evils in both parties. I have to say this. I have voted a lot more Republican in the last years than I have Democrat. But there, there is a, you know, just a, a, a lot of evil. And there's evil, again, on, on both sides. But I, I am not a Republican or a Democrat. I am a monarchist. I'm a monarchist. You may be sitting there and saying, well, what is a monarchist? This guy sounds like he's out of his mind. I, I, am, I am a monarchist. See, a, a monarchy is led by a monarch or a king. The monarch has a kingdom. The kingdom that I belong to is the kingdom of the king of kings. He is the monarch. I'm a member of his kingdom. And I'm waiting for him to come and establish his earthly monarchy here on earth. So I'm a monarchist, but I don't belong, right, to this citizenship of earth. I am a, a, a citizen of heaven, of the kingdom of heaven. In 1 Peter chapter 2.11, it says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, a sojourner is a temporary resident. I'm only got a residency that's temporary here. And again, I'm a pilgrim. A pilgrim is somebody who is on a journey to a sacred place. I'm on a journey to a very sacred place, the most sacred place ever created, heaven. And I'm just passing through this world. I'm not home yet, right? Most of you, you're not home yet. Key thing, key thing to focus on here, and again, a key principle is we are on a journey to the other side. Remember that. Because if, if you forget it, what happens is you start to get too attached to the stuff in this world. And I want to tell you something. The stuff in this world will be ripped from you very quickly. Some of you have experienced that. Even the people you love can be ripped from you like that in a second. Your life can be ripped from you. I'll tell you, I've done hundreds of funerals 
Nobody I've ever done a funeral with took it with them. They didn't take anything with them. They couldn't take their 401k with them. They couldn't take all their possessions with them, their trophies, right? All the achievements that they had. They don't take it with them. You're going to leave it all behind. And, and you're going to leave the people behind that were still standing in this world. And say, again, you, you know, you do the funerals, you know what? Christian funerals. Pastor, please say some nice words, right? Of course, if I knew them, it's pretty easy. If I don't know them, it's not always so easy. And boy, some people that I've done funerals for, it was really hard finding a nice word to say about them. I mean that. But you know, you come up, you say a few nice words, say a few prayers, we sing a song, and then we go into the uh, rock center and we eat potato salad. That's the funeral. If you're Spanish, right, you're eating uh, rice and beans. Enchiladas, right? The Polish people are eating kibasis. But you can't take anything with you. So it's just important. We are on a journey to the other side. Hold everything loosely because you're not going to take it with you. Number two, take Jesus along with you on your journey. So in, in Mark chapter 436, now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. The word took him is paralambano in the Greek, and what it means is not just simply they took it. Like, it wasn't like, Jesus, you're coming with us. That's not what happened here. Paralambano means to relate to someone in a very intimate and familiar and friendly way. It's, it's to be related to someone with warmth. These men loved Jesus. These, these men loved being with Jesus. When you love the Lord, you want him to go with you and travel with you in your boat. You long for him to come and travel with you in your boat. You can't even possibly think or imagine basically getting into the boat and not traveling with him. You want him in your boat. You want him in your life. You want him in your day. Because you love him. So in Exodus chapter 33, 14 through 15, you get this great illustration here, taking this passage from Moses. And here, and he said, and this is Yahweh speaking to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, Moses said to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. So Moses had experienced the, the love and the grace and the mercy and the power and the holiness of God. And here he's saying, if, if you're not going with us, I'm not going. We're not going. I want you to, I want you to be in my boat. You need to be in the boat of the Israelites. As we travel, right, through the wilderness to the promised land. In Luke chapter 24, 28 through 29, the two walking on the road to Emmaus. And so Jesus has been raised from the dead on Sunday. These two still believe he's dead in the grave. Jesus all of a sudden is walking along with them. They're actually walking into a sunset because uh, Emmaus is actually west, okay, of Jerusalem. That may be why they didn't recognize him. But again, probably the greatest reason they didn't recognize him because they thought he was dead. 
So the, the thought, their brain could not comprehend that this person who was walking with them was Jesus. So Jesus is, is teaching them. He's sharing the word of God with them. He's rebuking them for not believing that the Messiah had to die and be raised from the dead. And they, they just are loving being with him. You ever meet someone for the first time and you just connect with them? I mean, you just meet, you meet someone. It's like, it's like you know, you see it's, it's, it's a woman and a woman and a man and a man. And this is going to be the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with. But um, you meet somebody and you just have a connection with them. And man, it's, it's like, it's like you, you, you know, you got kind of the same mindset. They're, 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 they're a soulmate. That's kind of what's happening here. They meet Jesus. They, can, they don't even know it's Jesus. And they are just connecting with him. And so it, it, it comes to he's now going to leave them. And I want you to, to see this again, verse 28 through 29. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. And Jesus acted as if he was going to go on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So we went home with them. And then he revealed himself to them. But that's, that's, that's a picture of, Lord, stay with us. The day is almost over. The sun is setting. Night is about to fall. We just want to be with you. And they're not even realizing that it's him at this time. But that's just that's a, that, that, that longing for the Lord to be in your boat. Now I want to give you a couple of other illustrations here. If you go back to Genesis 28 through 16, Jacob. Jacob was on the run, right? He had to flee his mother and father and brother Esau because they thought Esau was going to kill him. So he was heading for Uncle Laban's ranch and on the way, uh, this is at Bethel, he fell asleep and then it says this in verse 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. But this is an illustration where the Lord is in your boat and you don't know it. That you're in the presence of God and you don't know that you're in the presence of God. Now you, you stop and you ask yourself, why? How could, how could somebody have the Lord in their boat? How could somebody be in the presence of God and not know, right, that God is there with him? Fear, anxiety, worry. He's being chased right out from his family. He's feeling very lonely. He's fearing alone. There's, there's fear in Jacob's heart. He doesn't even really know what Uncle Laban is going to be like. And boy, did he turn out to be a trip, right? But just we could become blinded from his presence by very strong emotions. Strong emotions. And, and as I've counseled people through the years, you know, people, deeply spiritual people, even... David in Psalm 13, right, one of the most spiritual people that you find in the scriptures, and he's saying, God, where are you? Where are you? What? David's being chased. David's being hunted down by Saul. David's on the run. David's afraid. And that, that fear can blind you to the very presence of God. I'll give you another illustration here in another direction. Judges chapter 16, 20. Samson. So there's a point where Samson, right, Samson, man, Samson's got a lust issue, man. Sam, Samson, right, what does he do? He, he sees a woman, what does he say to his mother and father? 
Get her for me. That's Samson. Get her. He said like three times, get her for me. He's got, he's going to prostitute, then he's, then he's shacking up here with Delilah. So she snipped his hair. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before in other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. So here's a person who thinks the Lord is with him. And he's not. Now that may cause some problems with your theology. That's something you're going to have to work through. But it, it, the Lord departed from him. And he thought the Lord was with him. And that is a scary place. When Jesus, when Jesus was concluding the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about false prophets. And false prophets being in this situation, thinking that God was with him and God is not. Look at the passage. This is a, a, a scary passage to me. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, uh, 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. By the way, let me just stop there a second. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, this is not Buddhist. These are not Buddhists. These are not Hindus. These are not atheists. These are people who are professing Jesus as their Lord. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Now, people look at that, and again, that could seem very confusing because were these false teachers, false prophets, actually, again, preaching the word of God, casting out demons and doing miracles? And there's a couple of different ideas, a couple of different sides of ideas that people say that this could be. One is, is that the devil was actually doing miracles through them because Satan can work miracles. Another, another thing that it could be alluding to is there's a lot of conning and deception in churches where you have people who appear to be doing miracles and they're not miracles at all. In fact, there are a number of these, these fake preachers, these false teachers have been exposed where they would have people coming into their revival meeting and they would interview people and they would see somebody walking, right? Somebody walking with a limp and they would say, oh, you know what, let us put you in a wheelchair, and they wheeled them into this area with wheelchairs. Now they walked in. They walked into the building, but they were walking with a limp. So they put them in the wheelchair. Then the, 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 the preacher brings them up onto the platform, and he prays over them, right? He taps them on the head, and he says, you're healed. And then he takes them by the hands, and of course they can walk. And all the people in the audience are all praising, you know, praising the Lord, hallelujah. And it's just fa it's fakery. So that could be what is going on here. We know it's not genuinely from the Lord. They're not, they're not true believers. And then in verse 23, and it says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So these are people who thought the Lord was with them. And boy, on judgment, they find out he was not. So just a, 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 key, a key thing, you want to make sure that Jesus is in your boat. You want to take Jesus with you on this journey. Number three, don't let storms catch you off guard. Last week when we were baptizing, it's kind of something that I had a, another 
series of messages uh, as we can continue through the Bible that I was going to start today. But as I'm standing there, I'm listening to the people who are being baptized, and I found that about half of the people who were baptized, as they were sharing their testimonies, were dealing with pain. We're dealing with suffering. That the windstorms were blowing through their lives. So I'm listening, and some of these young kids sharing about their pain, older people sharing about their pain, middle-aged people sharing about their pain. And um, that kind of just, I, I went home and I was thinking and said, you know what, as a preacher, again, preaching through the scriptures, okay, um, I feel like God gives to me what he wants you to hear, but at times God will say to me, you need to focus on a passage, you need to focus on an issue, just being sensitive to understanding what's going on in, in the body. There are people who are dealing with pain here. There are people who are in storms. There are people who have maybe in the past experienced suffering and you're, you know, you're carrying those wounds, you're carrying those scars with you, right? So I wanted to come and I wanted to focus on this message because we experience storms. Don't let the storms catch you off guard. In Acts chapter 14, 22, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. We will go through much tribulation, trials, problems, to enter into the kingdom of God. Kipling, who wrote Jungle Book, he said, life is a painful thing. Life is a painful thing. It can bring some pain. Right? There, there, are, there are sunny days, but there are also right those stormy days. There are days when you're going to be on the mountaintop and you can hear the angels singing, and there are going to be other days when you're going to be down in the valley where you can hear the demons hissing. But that's, that's life. In, in Mark, again, for, I want you to look at this, 37 through 39. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So this storm, what it did was it was outward, but notice what it was doing inwardly to the apostles. It was creating an inward storm. Don't you care? Don't, don't you care that we're, we're, we're dying? We're going to die. And then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. I want to say this to you, the rebuking, the word rebuked, I put that in red in verse 39 because the only time the word is used is when Jesus rebuked demons or rebuked people. When he rebuked the apostles, the word is used, and then it's used for demons. So here he's using it for a storm, and it really kind of doesn't fit in. I believe this storm was a demonic storm, a storm that was created by the enemy. As they were crossing the Sea of Galilee, what is on the other side? What is Jesus about to do? Yeah, there's a guy who's a demoniac with a legion of demons inside of him. And Jesus is going, he's going to cast him out. Not just cast out the demons from this guy, but this guy was going to become Jesus' evangelist and missionary who would go to the Decapolis, preach the gospel to the ten cities, right? And prepare the way for Jesus to come. So he is kind of a John the Baptist that Jesus is going to deliver and he's going to pave the way for the Lord to come and Satan didn't want him to get there. So I believe Satan created this storm and the enemy can create storms, right? 
I believe that the storm that you saw in Hawaii could very well have been a demonic storm. Tornadoes, maybe not everything that happens in nature is the cause of the enemy. I don't want to give him too much credit, but there are things he can do and he can create internal storms. The apostles are confused and they are in chaos. I want to say this to you and hear me on this. When you experience confusion in your life, when there is chaos in your life, it's not coming from God. It's coming from the devil. And that could be moral chaos. That could be gender chaos. That could be doctrinal chaos. That could be spiritual chaos. Satan is the cause of internal storms. God always creates peace and clarity. Just whenever there's something confusing in my life, I know it's come from the enemy. Because I have learned from the Lord, God always gives me clarity. Relational clarity. Financial clarity. Physical clarity. Spiritual clarity. The enemy always deals with confusion. He is the master of chaos. He is the master of confusion. And God is the master of clarity and peace. When you're, when you're in this state, folks, that's coming from the devil. Identify that. Because God, God deals with this. God always creates clarity. He always creates peace. Take you to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. So there's a lot of demonic deception right now. Massive demonic deception about gender. Right? In people's personal lives, in the educational institutions, even in the church. So look at the clarity that God gives us. Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, now, is that clear? Could it be any clearer? There are two genders, right? According to God, there is male and female. Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Marriage. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Is that clear, right? right? It's, it, it, it's clear, it's concise. So this is what we have today. I think there are, there are over, uh, now over a hundred different genders that the confused elites have created or Satan has put into their mind. That, that, that's gender confusion. The actual genders, if you look here, right there they are, right there. By the way, I didn't put mental disorders. That's somebody else who did that. I'll just say this, demonic disorders, satanic disorders, disorders of darkness, just con confusion. But God always deals with clarity. When you are in a state of confusion, and maybe somebody's sitting here, you're in a place of, of confusion, gender confusion, maybe you're watching this, or maybe you're going to watch this months from now. When you're in a place of gender confusion or marriage confusion, that's from the enemy. Or really any confusion. 
So watch, watch what happens here. So God creates Adam and Eve tremendous clarity. Adam, you're a man, and Eve, you're a woman. And now you're going to be joined together, and you're going to become husband and wife. Marriage between a man and a woman. Watch just what, what Satan does, because Satan immediately comes in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and he begins to create confusion. Now, specifically here, uh, it's not talking about gender confusion, but it's confusion. What does he do? One of the first things that he says, has God indeed said? He gets them questioning the word of God. See, the word of God is very clear. The word of God is very concise. But he gets, he gets them in a place where now he's questioning the word of God. Then notice down, I put it in red in verse 3. Uh, God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it. Did God say that? No, God, God said, you shall not eat, right, of that tree, right, of the knowledge of good and evil. He didn't say you couldn't touch it. Now Satan, Satan's creating more confusion. You call that, that's legalism. Now he starts adding, he starts adding all types of things that God never said. And then if you look at verse 4, he says, you will not surely die. What did God say? When you eat it, you're going to die. So now he's got, he's got the woman and the man totally confused. They don't know what's up, they don't know what's down, right? They don't know what's in and what's out. And he's just got them prime for them now to take the fruit and to eat it. Satan always deals in confusion. So you're confused about things in your life. You're confused maybe about your career. You're confused about your marriage. You're confused about your family. You're confused about your morality. Or you're confused about your gender. You're confused about the word of God. That's the work of Satan. Do you hear me on that? When you realize that, you're going to save yourself a whole lot of pain. God always deals with clarity. The clarity of priorities, the clarity of the focus of your life, the clarity of your identity, the clarity of your doctrine, the clarity of your purpose. Satan deals right with chaos. He creates storms of chaos in our minds. Key lesson, don't let the storms catch you off guard. Don't let the storms catch you off guard. Number four, never doubt that Jesus cares. So in verse 38, but he was in the stern asleep on a pillow and they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Don't you care? We're about to drown. The storm is raging. Our lives are in jeopardy. We're being battered by the, the wind and the waves. I'm hurting. I'm scared. I'm afraid. I'm worried. Right? All those emotions fill our minds. Let me just say this. Whenever you're in doubt if Jesus cares, and this works for me, I have never doubted that Jesus cares. I know you're sitting there, wow, how can, how can that be? Well, I, I've doubted, like I've said, I've doubted myself. 
I've doubted you. I've doubted people in my lives. I've never doubted that Jesus cares. How can you get that? We sing a song, and in the final stanza, it says, Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. So, when doubting or wondering, and maybe you're asking Jesus, Jesus, do you care for me? Or maybe you're wondering if Jesus cares for you. Go to Calvary. Calvary is the place he died. Calvary is the mountain that the cross was placed upon. And just stop and look and let him show you how much he cares for you because he cares for you this much. If you don't think he cares, why would he do that for you? To give you complete forgiveness of your sins, the gift of eternal life, and ultimately to bring you to be with him in heaven forever and ever. So in the storm, never doubt that Jesus cares. Number five, in the storm, turn to the Prince of Peace. Verse 39, then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. In the storm, it's easy to start to look. Right? You, you may be looking for other solutions. I see a lot of times people, they're running, they're running to other people. They may be running to the, you know, to the experts. Look to the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, it says, He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. When you focus on Jesus in the storm, and I'm speaking to you from experience, when the storm hits, and it could be again physical, it could be financial, it could be relational, it could be spiritual. When the storm hits, focus your eyes on Jesus and you will experience his peace. I can't explain all the, all the, the, the psychological reasons why that happens, but I'll tell you this, there is something truly miraculous that when we focus on the Prince of Peace, his peace manifests in our life. Number six, hear Jesus' word. So in verse 40, he says to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Faith is to believe. Faith is to trust. It is to trust in Jesus. It is to trust in his word. See, he gave them a word. Right, what did he say to them at the beginning? They're on the shore. He says to them what? Let's cross over to the other side. Right? He didn't say, let's get in the boat and we're all going to drown together. <laughs> he didn't say, let's get in the boat and we'll be treading water for four hours before somebody comes and saves us. What did he say? He said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. You know where faith comes from? Faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of God. Now, I think, and I wonder, did they hear him? 
Because I don't think they did. He said, I'm going to take you to the other side. And it seems like they didn't really listen to what he said, right? Mark 4.35 again. Let us cross over to the other side. Did they listen to what he said? Did they hear with what he said? You see, you could be sitting in church and hearing this message, and it's a good message, right? It's, it's a powerful message. It's a, I mean, it's the passage. It's not me. It's the passage. If Jesus, right, he can make a donkey talk. He can make me talk. I'm just sharing with you the word of God. It's a great passage. But you know what? If you do not hear it, if you do not listen to it, if you do not understand, it's worthless to you, and the storm will hit, and you're right back where you were. Anxiety, stress, worry, fear, frustration, anger. It's, it's in the very listening and hearing. Look at what the Lord said in Isaiah 6, 9. And he said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. You see, it, it's not just, again, hearing it is in the understanding. Are you understanding it? Are you perceiving it? I think, I think the apostles, they essentially, it, they heard it, but they didn't understand it, and they didn't perceive it. And so they're freaking out. Key lesson, right? Hear his word and understand it. You know something that will help you to do that? Take notes. I tell people this all the time in my seminars. When you listen to someone talking, you will remember 8% of what they say. So if you're just sitting here listening right now, you're going to walk out of here with an 8% comprehension level. If you write things down, you can take it to 64%. That's an increase of 56%. And if this message really resonates with you, focus on it. Go over it. Maybe listen to it a few more times. There are some messages that I've heard through the years that just resonated with me that I've listened to, some of them, a hundred times. A hundred. Jim Rohn on the seasons, the four seasons of life. Let me tell you, I burned it out on cassette. Remember cassettes? Yeah. So I'm saying, he's old. Cassettes. How many of you remember eight tracks? They were around for about four hours one day many years ago. <laughs> but now with YouTube, you can get Jim Rohn's fours, the four seasons of life. He's a Christian man. This wasn't a, this wasn't a man preaching, though. He was just sharing this in a business conference. I found it. I found it very enlightening. But you, you see, you got to hear it. You've got to receive it. You've got to understand it. You've got to perceive it. All right, last point. The fear that cancels all other, other fears. The fear that cancels all other fears. Final verse, verse 41. And they feared exceedingly. So they were afraid of the storm. Now, this fear that they're experiencing, this exceedingly great fear, and they say, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? What are they fearing here? The sea is calm. They're not, they're not fearing the sea anymore. They're not fearing the wind. They're fearing Jesus. He transferred their fear of a storm to himself. The fear of God. Right? Fear, fear 
man, fear is debilitating. Right? We live in a time, I say there's people in the I see people in the church, they're, they're afraid, right? And, they, and they, they constantly are just fo- they're focusing on the big bad wolf that's out there, the boger man, right? He's out there and he's, you know, he's, he's coming for you and, and people are afraid. And fear cripples you. Fear debilitates you. Fear will keep you from maximizing your potential in the Lord. These are, these are the, the six biggest fears. Now, now I'll say this. These are, these are the internal fears. But like if you look at, and you can look at studies, 2022, what were the greatest fears? Fears of nuclear war. Fears of an EMP. Right? No losing all of our electricity. Fear of the government. Right? Fear of not having enough money to be able to, to live. And so, but these are, these are the internal fears that psychologists talk about. Eight biggest fears you face in life. Fear of failure. Boy, that will keep you from never really trying to do anything. Fear of rejection. So I work with a lot of marketers and salespeople. They're, fear, they're afraid someone's going to reject them. You know, I mean, you're going to share, you're going to share your, your, you see this in church, or share the gospel with somebody. And they're going to reject it. I'm afraid of the rejection. That's not rejection. Talk to some people who have truly experienced rejection in their life. Talk to children about you know, how their parents abandoned them. That's, that's rejection. Fear of change. Fear of public speaking. Fear of imperfection or not being good enough. Fear of vulnerability. Fear of time. Fear of loneliness. You know what, I'll just tell you this. I have conquered those eight fears because if I didn't, I couldn't do what I'm doing with you right now. Fear. But there is a fear that cancels all fears. Right now, you want to experience some really good cancel culture? Right? Yeah, the fear of God cancels all fears. And that's exactly what he did with them. They suddenly started, to, their knees started knocking together. They were trembling, standing right in his presence. And that fear just wiped out those other fears. And that is the fear that cancels all fears. So here's our keynotes. Our keynotes, right? There are going to be storms. I wish I could, if I had a magic wand. Some of you think this is magic, but it's not. (laughs) Think of this, though. A few years ago, this was magical, right? If I had a magic wand, I would wave it over all your heads that you would never again have to suffer. You would never have to experience pain. I mean, just I pray that. and I pr- Just pray that for you. I pray for healings. I pray for God to deliver you. The Holy Spirit puts that on my heart. But I know, I know the reality. We still are going to experience storms. Storms inwardly, storms outwardly. Main, main thing. Main thing. Take Jesus into your boat. Make sure Jesus is in your boat. He will calm your storms. He will get you to the other side and he will bring you home. Put your faith in him as your God, as your Lord, as your Savior. Put your faith in him and believe in him that he died for you on that cross to take away your sins, 
put your faith in him that he was raised from the dead and he is alive. And repent. You have to turn to turn to him. Turn from that garbage, that, that worldly stuff, that sin. Turn from that and turn to him. When you repent and you put your faith in Jesus, you receive, you receive him into your life. And you receive the gift of eternal life. You receive his forgiveness. And you know what? He comes into your boat. And he's going to be in the boat with you. He's going to be in the boat with you when you wake up in the middle of the night. He's going to be in the boat with you when you're sleeping. He's going to be in the boat with you when you wake up. He's going to be in the boat with you as you go through your day working and all the difficult things that we have to deal with in life. And when the storm hits, he's going to be in your boat with you. So make sure he's in your boat. And if you have never taken him into your boat, take him into your boat this morning. Say to Jesus, Lord, come on. You got to come with me. You got to come with me. Amen. Amen. Stand with me. Father, I want to thank you, Lord God, for this very comforting and convicting word. I pray, Lord Jesus, may no person leave here this day who is not taking you with them in their boat. I pray right now, Lord God, people who are saying to you, Jesus, come into my boat and putting their faith in you as their Lord and Savior, putting their faith in you that you died for them on the cross to take away their sins, putting faith in you that you are the risen Lord. As they do that, Lord God, may they leave here with you in their boat. And Jesus, I thank you, Lord God, for your love for us. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you in Jesus' name, amen, Father.